Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, in part 3 of a sermon series called Together, with this message from January 26th titled, Living Supernaturally. The story is told of a man in San Francisco walking along the Golden Gate Bridge who saw a second man about to jump over the edge. He stopped him and and he said, life can't be that bad. And, And continued by saying, you know that God loves you. The man about to jump got a tear in his eye. He said, are you a Christian or a Jew? The fellow said, I'm a Christian. He said, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? I'm Protestant. I am too. What denomination? I'm Baptist. Oh, so am I. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. Well, that's a miracle. I am too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist? I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. Well, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region? Well, I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. Well, so am I. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1897 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council 1912? Well, I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council 1912. And the guy said, die heretic and threw him over the bridge. (laughs) We are in a preaching series, which I've titled together a series from Ephesians chapter four, verses one to six, where Paul instructs us to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I concluded my sermon last Sunday with this quote from M.R. Dehan. He said, God cares nothing about our man-made divisions and groups and is not interested in our self-righteousness, hair splitting and religious man-made formulas and organizations. He wants you to recognize the unity of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, Paul outlines seven realities which knit our hearts together in unity. These become the foundation which enables us to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Last Sunday, we considered together the first truth that there is one body. The moment we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and savior, we become a part of his body, his church. And Jesus is a head of the body and has preeminence. And we are parts of the body, each with a significant function to fulfill. This morning, we come to the second reality, which knit our hearts together in unity. And I want to read verses four to six of Ephesians four, once again, in its entirety. And then we'll proceed with that second foundational reality. Paul writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all. And in all, not only Paul says, is there one body, but he goes on to say that there is also one spirit. Paul, no doubt is referring to the Holy spirit, the third member of the Trinity. 
And that is because there is one spirit that we are one in Christ and we're able to maintain the unity of the spirit. And just as we have a spirit that gives life to our physical body. So there is one spirit who gives life to Christ's body, the church of which we are members. Think of it this way. Jesus Christ did the great work of atonement on the cross to save us from our sin. It is a Holy spirit whom he said he would send that applies a work of atonement to our lives. Paul references the work of the Holy spirit throughout the epistle to the Ephesians. In his letter, we read, it is a spirit who breathes life into our dead spiritual bodies that we might hear the gospel and respond to it by faith. It is a spirit who seals the benefits of Christ's work. It is a one spirit that we have access to God, the father in Christ. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. It is a spirit who has revealed the great mystery that we will, that we are all members of the same body. It is a spirit who strengthens us with God's power. And as we saw in the previous verse, the very unity of the church is a unity of the spirit. This is the one spirit, the Holy spirit, the spirit of God. There may be many spirits. We do believe in a spirit world. And Paul makes reference to an evil spirit in chapter two, verse two, but there is only one Holy spirit of God who is indeed God, the third person of the Trinity. And it is a spirit which Christ has sent to his people to make them his, to bind us to him and to bind us to one another. As Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse 15, if the spirit is in you, then you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You belong to Christ and to his body. However, as Scott McKnight, a professor of new Testament at Northern seminary in Lyle, Illinois maintains Many Christians in the West remain closed to the spirit and are hampered by fear when it comes to relating to him and tapping into his power. In an interview with the Christian post, he offered three reasons why many Western believers in Jesus miss it regarding the Holy spirit. He says the lack of education, lack of experience and fear. He says in the church is a broad ignorance, a lack of knowledge about the, what the Bible says about the Holy spirit or the importance of the Holy spirit. He goes on to say, unfortunately, the frame of reference for many Christians regarding the Holy spirit is informed by strange individuals that they have, that they might have encountered in their life who have claimed odd things about the Holy ghost or goofy phenomena. They have observed on Christian television. Such experiences make people extra cautious, but that heavy cautiousness often results in a let's not talk about it kind of approach. And the Holy spirit winds up almost forgotten entirely. And the fear is that if we surrender to the spirit, we lose control. And if we lose control, we know who knows what might happen. He goes on to say, well, a couple of things come to mind. We might be sanctified. We might grow holy. We might have to walk away from our treasured and precious little sins. Another element of fear when it a fear, when it comes to the Holy spirit is change. If we surrender to the spirit, then we no longer are in control of our life. And we have to listen to the spirits guiding us. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with these sorts of things. They'd rather go to church and sing a couple songs, hear a good sermon based on the Bible, sing another song, clap their hands and go home. But the idea that God, the Holy spirit might break in and our schedule be interrupted or extended can be fearful to many people. And then he concludes with these words. We live in a world that is empirical, materialistic, 
that if it's not scientific or demonstrative, we cannot touch it, see it, feel it, eat it, then it's not real. In the minds of many Westerners then, especially within certain strains of secularism, the real is largely confined to the material. And then he says, but those mindsets are often present in the church too. The very moment we began to follow Jesus, we became his temple. This means that the God who created the universe, who led the prophets of old, who performed miracles 2000 years ago is with you this very moment. And every moment God, the Holy spirit has taken residence within your life. If you know Jesus as your personal savior, tragically, however, many believers miss out on much of what the Holy spirit offers because they do not understand how much he can really do in them. If they would let him. So in light of that, I want to share some ways in which the Holy spirit works in and through us, how he works in and through us individually, but also collectively as a body of believers so that together we are united in our walk with him. I would first point out that the Holy spirit enables us to witness according to scripture. Empowerment for witness is one of the main purposes for which Jesus sent the spirit and why he insisted that we depend on the spirit's power. Jesus promised that when the Holy spirit came upon them, his disciples would be his witnesses. Acts one verse eight reads, but you will receive power when the spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The old Testament often associated the spirit with the prophets. And in Jesus day, Jewish people especially thought of the prophets when they thought of the spirit. Therefore, Jesus is promising his followers the same power that the prophets had. Whatever else we may think about the spirits coming on Pentecost, the spirit surely inspired people to speak as he gave them utterance, proving that God was equipping his people to speak for him. Jesus promised that the spirit would empower them to be witnesses far beyond Jerusalem. In other words, the spirit would enable the disciples to cross cultural and geographical boundaries to be missionaries. And the disciples experienced the foretaste of this multicultural witness with Jewish pilgrims from many nations on the day of Pentecost. But the spirit especially began to expand the church through the ministry of bicultural missionaries who were full of the Holy spirit. Stephen laid the theological groundwork for missions by recognizing that God was not localized in Jerusalem. Philip was led by the spirit to the Samaritans and to an African court official. The spirit eventually surmounted the rest of the Jerusalem church's prejudice against Gentiles and missions and later called for active missionaries to go to unreached parts of the Gentile world. You see the acts of the apostles is a record of how God empowered his young church to cross cultural barriers as his witnesses. The same spirit that empowered the young church desires to empower us. If we would so let him, we can be effective and fruitful witnesses individually and uh, corporately. If we would, but choose to allow him to speak through us, if we would allow him to empower us as his witnesses. I would also suggest to you this morning that the Holy spirit enables us to hear God's voice. One of the most important and least understood roles of the Holy spirit is to communicate God's thoughts to us. Listening for God's voice is extremely well documented in scriptures, both in the old and the new testaments. 
But since it is subjective and relational, that is arising out of a relationship between God and you, some people are afraid of it. They don't want to be seen as a fanatic or as some kind of a kook. But if you seldom or never hear the whispers of the spirit or feel his nudges, then you're missing out on one of the great blessings of your heritage as a child of God. He speaks to us and he nudges us in the direction that he would have us to take. Listening for God's voice is a Bible pattern that we see throughout the old and the new testaments. God communicated to us by means of his spirit. For example, Peter is in a house in Joppa and has a vision while napping on the roof. When he wakes up, the spirit says to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. He goes with them. And the first Gentiles hear the gospel, believe and receive the spirit. Instantly, the gospel moves beyond the Jewish and Samaritan worlds into the Roman empire and beyond all because Peter heard the spirit's words and obeyed. The Holy spirit provides a channel for God's communication to us. We see this by examining Jesus own pattern as well. Jesus healings and his miracles bring immediate fame throughout Galilee. Instantly, he is known as someone who can perform miracles and and heal people. On one occasion, Jesus is staying at Peter's house. It's mobbed by sick and needy people from all over the area. And this is what we read in Mark chapter one. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Simon Peter and his friends search for Jesus to tell him he is needed. But Jesus has talked with his father. He has communed with his father and he knows what he needs to do next. The spirit of God is directing his life that he needs to go to other regions and preach there as well. Going away to pray, to listen to his father was a vital pattern in Jesus life. One that he sought to demonstrate so that the disciples themselves would emulate. And just as Jesus was dependent upon hearing from the father being directed by his spirit. So are we in his book, the power of a whisper hearing God, having the guts to respond. Bill Hybels writes throughout all of history, God has communicated and he is still at it today. The issue isn't whether or not God is speaking. It's whether we will have ears to hear what he says. He then goes on to say, God can intervene in life's major decisions, but also in our day to day routine throughout the course of our days. We can receive whispers of assurance and input that confirms God's promises of things such as his presence, his peace, his power, his provision, and his protection in our lives. We also hear whispers of admonition, corrective rebukes that encourage us to change course or that save us from sure peril. But sometimes issues, whispers of action, words that spur on his followers to meet or solve a problem in their corner of the world. In other words, there's different ways in which God's spirit nudges and works in our hearts and whispers to us. 
But God is whispering. His spirit is nudging. We need to be willing to obey. God's voice and nudges are not part of learning some spiritual technique. No, they're all about relationship. If you and I want to hear God's voice, if we want to feel his nudges, we must invest deeply in the relationship he provides to us through grace. We must press in to know the Lord. We must ensure that we are doing that, that we are, are in this relationship with Jesus, getting to know him better, understanding his, his ways and, and his desires for us. And as we do, we'll begin to hear those whispers from the Holy spirit and experience those nudges. The Holy spirit also enables us to have hearts like God's heart in Paul's day. False teachers are trying to get the Galatian Christians to do religion in the flesh by their own ability rather than by God's grace. Paul warned that new life in Christ comes only by God's transforming spirit, whom we receive only by faith. So Paul lists the best works that flesh humanity in our self-centeredness can produce. And he talks about works such like sexual immorality and idolatry, witchcraft, jealousy, and drunkenness. But he says, Jesus offers us something better than religion by mere human ability. Jesus sends his spirit into our hearts to make us like himself. The fruit of the spirit contrasts starkly with the works of the flesh. You see, fruit is not something we work up, but something we simply produce because it is our nature to produce it. The fruit of the spirit means that because God's spirit lives inside us, he produces in us the character of that is like his character. And what does God's character include? It includes things like love and joy, peace, enduring patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. The more we depend on his grace in our, to work in our lives, the more these aspects of our character will become our own character. In other words, if we are going to become like Jesus, We need to yield to the spirit of God. And as our lives are shaped in this way, we become holy. The Christians in Galatia were not the only people who struggled with how to fulfill God's righteousness. Paul tells the believers in Rome that God provides righteousness as a free gift in Christ, which a person lives out in faith. The law tells us about God's righteousness, but by itself, it can't change our hearts. But the spirit comes, Paul says, and writes God's law in our hearts. This means that when the spirit comes into our lives, he gives us an entirely new way of thinking. We do not, we do God's will, not just because we're supposed to, but because we love to please our heavenly father. These are only three of many ways in which a Holy spirit works in us and through us. For example, he enables, he also enables us to anticipate what the world to come will be like. He helps us to pray. He reminds us who we really are. He carries on Jesus ministry of convicting the world through our witness. Those who respond in faith to Jesus, he births in you, setting them apart for Christ. He gifts us so we can serve Christ. He is a mark of our new freedom in Christ. He gives us joy in knowing that he has brought us to himself and he gives us fellowship and unity and enables us to submit to one another. Is it safe to assume that most of us have only begun to explore the works of God 
that he yearns to do in our lives through his spirit. As I said at the outset, whether through fear, ignorance, or sin, we can hinder from him from working in us in a mighty and a powerful way. So you and I should not be afraid to give him freedom to work in our lives. Because once we do, our life will never be the same. God, through his Holy Spirit, will take us to people and to places that we never expected to go to as we yield to the Spirit. But that is what we must do. In order for the Holy Spirit to work mightily in our hearts, we must yield to him and be filled by him. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, just a chapter over, Paul writes to these Ephesian believers, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. When the Bible says be filled with the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is some sort of liquid, liquid and we're a jug and he fills us to the top. That's not the idea at all. To be filled with the spirit of God means that there's not one room in our temple. Remember I said that our bodies is a body is a temple of the Holy spirit. So to be filled with the spirit of God means that there's not one room in our temple where God is off limits. There's not one closet. He doesn't have a key to you and I are filled with the spirit in our church life, in our business life, in our political life, in our social life, in the big things and the little things, in our money, in our exercise, in our sleep, in our eating, in our lying down, in our waking up, when we give to him the keys of our life. When we give everything over to him in complete surrender and submission. And so when Paul says that there is one spirit He says, that's a reality that binds us together as believers in Jesus Christ. You and I as believers are indwelt by the same spirit. We're empowered by the same spirit. We're gifted by the same spirit. We give witness of Christ through the same spirit. That is another basis of our unity. You will notice in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, that to be filled with the spirit is a command. It's a command because the extent to which you are filled with the spirit has to do with the extent to which you are willing to open your heart in obedience to him. And so this morning, as we recognize and understand that we are together in Christ, let us realize in you that we are bound by the same spirit indwelt, empowered by the third person of the Trinity, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Loving God and Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who resides within us. And Father, forgive us when we do not appropriate the power that he so longs to give to us. Forgive us when we quench the work of your spirit or grieve the work of your spirit through sin, through unrighteousness, through ignorance, through lack of faith. And so, Father, I pray that we would make it a priority to to know, to discover anew, afresh, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And may we, each and every day, each moment of each day, just surrender ourselves to you, give you the key to each room of our life, so that you can invade it with your presence, with your power, and lead us where you would so desire us to go. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have given to us your spirit. 
In this we praise Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, visit us at tbcswanriver.com. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, we are also available at anchor.fm slash Church or on your favorite podcast app.